Barnswell Boxing. You're welcome on in. Ireland's Boxing Weekly Podcast on all things amateur, professional, domestic and international. If you'd like to listen to any or all of a back catalogue of almost 200 episodes, perhaps you just want to find the links to our YouTube channel or any of our social media platforms, go to www.endswellpod.com on the past, present and future of Irish boxing. You are indeed very welcome on in. Episode number 189. Thank you so much for your support of the last episode in particular. It's um, climbing up the charts as we speak. Fittingly so for a warrior, a champion and a fallen fighter such as Gerald McClellan. Remember that hashtag, fallen fighters. I hope you're as fighting fit and feeling as well as you're looking. We're seeing signs this week that spring has most definitely sprung. And for the first time in a long time, it's almost safe to have a spring in your step. No more false dawns. Progress. But maybe baby steps, eh? And it's what gives me the title for this episode. What does change look like? Or will Josh Taylor escape? And retain all four belts for your winner by split decision. There's a lot of people in this world that are terrified, petrified, even at the very thought of change. Are we talking about around the world? Are we talking about the boxing world? Are we talking about the world at large? The boxing narrative right now? It's all negative. It's all hate. It's all bad, bad, bad. Boxing again. It's corrupt. It's this. It's that. But is it? In the wake of Josh Taylor and Jack Catterall, that's the narrative. That's the feeling amongst many. We'll have a look at that in a few minutes' time. And we'll chat with a couple who have a very, very experienced and first-hand insight into these massive, massive nights one man in particular just so happens to be the man who was preparing Jack Catterall's hands last Saturday night at the Hydro. You see that flavour of not fear but there some of them are really anxious. To me he just looked like he was a guy that was absolutely in the moment and was prepared for what was ahead of him. And also joining us is a fellow who's become a very great friend of mine who we chat almost every evening. He will feature close to the top of, if not on top, of any and every Irish boxing fan's list of best Irish fighters ever. The reason why these fights like this that are kind of robbery in social media, till everything he learned went out the window. Catterall can start to bring his left hand over his chin to catch anything coming back. Josh Taylor doesn't know how to, how to catch a jab coming back. The cross guard, the old cross guard. And of course in chatting with the lads, we'll look at what they thought played out. We'll look at how the game plans went we'll talk about maybe what adjustments could have or should have been made and we'll look at the background of it we'll talk about the previous results what's led into this because I guess we are where we are now because of history so what led up to this most definitely has to be considered a reason a cause or is it a symptom but before all that there's a wider world and it's outside sport it's outside boxing and right now it involves Russia and Ukraine I've got very many mixed feelings on this, very many. Um, I think the collective outrage, I think the hypocrisy that we're seeing and hearing from very certain countries on this planet who have pretty much done as they wanted. They've run riot, countless payloads of bombs on countless of what they consider to be quote-unquote collateral damage. We have to have learned, as I said a few minutes ago, we are where we are now because of our history. We don't need to get trapped in history. We don't need to get stuck there. We don't need to live in the past. But most certainly do need to learn from it. It's really, really, really sad. It 
above all else, it's sad. There is the loss of innocent lives and the people who are making the choices to engage in this war aren't the people who are engaging in it themselves. They are sending other people's children to that war. They are sending other people's loved ones into that buzzsaw who were almost guaranteed not to come back. Of course, it intertwines and overlaps with the boxing world, with the sporting world and with the, with the real world. And it triggers me to think that there are Russian people. They've, they've probably, most likely, come over here or over there or wherever to get away from. Why are we seeing athletes in America being tarred, labelled with a brush that has nothing to do with them? This so happens that those two nations provide so many of the best, if not world champions, contenders and fellas who in those upper echelons of every weight division will have a decisive impact. We Irish, we should know how it feels. We are the stereotypical globetrotters. We don't stay at home, we go everywhere. We know how it feels to be looked down upon. We know how it feels to be labelled. Remember, cast your minds back to the 80s, the 70s, Sure, every Irish man is a terrorist? We weren't. We aren't. And neither are the Russians. The apologies if I digressed a little there. It is something that's been gnawing away at me all week. It's a little bit like a rat with a spud. But let's not beat around the bush. Let's get straight to the biggest talking point in the boxing world and, and beyond the boxing world in the last few days, I suppose, is, of course, Josh Taylor, Jack Catterall and the fight for the unification of that lightweight division. It's really hard to know where to start with all of this. Um, everybody has such a convoluted opinion, such a different opinion. Some are seeing it as a landslide five, six round shutout by Jack Catterall. Some are seeing it as a lot closer. And, and I'll give you my thoughts on it in a little bit. If we go back to the beginning when the fight was announced and then it was postponed and, and put back. Um, but as the pages turned on the calendar the days slipped by and it got closer I grew into it I suppose as is the intention with the promotion and the build up and the gloves are off and the crescendo effect was was almost perfect almost perfect because by the time the fight came around we were all wanting it everybody was talking about it press conferences right up to the way in at the end and when Josh and Jack finally put hands on one another the emphasis had Right up to that moment, all everything, all the emphasis, all the focus, all the attention, and I want to say all the advantages as well, were given the way of Josh Taylor, the unified champion. You could say that a lot of it is deserved, that he'd earned it hard, but for me, there were a couple of glaring mistakes, and, and I'm just going to outline them as quick as I can, I don't want to take too long. Mistake number one, anybody that knew even the slightest little bit about Jack Catterall. Even if you didn't know or see much of him, if you had kept your ear to the ground in the boxing world over the last few weeks and months, you, you would have heard. You would have heard some stories. Now, stories are all well and good if you're hearing one. You might hear two. Now, if you're starting to hear three, four and five about disagreements, about sparring sessions, about fighters who are giving him more trouble than they should, well, they do add up. And, and the old saying, smoke without fire, it's not always true, but there definitely was a whisp of smoke rising above that camp. And Jack Catterall, to his eternal credit, anybody that didn't know about him, that's okay. You weren't supposed to. He's not been pushed enough. He didn't have a promoter. He hasn't been marketed in the way that Josh Taylor has. So 
you're, you could be forgiven for that one. He, the way he carried himself in the way up to the fight, how he stayed calm in the eye of the storm, right up to the final face-off, an unerring confidence, brimming with self-belief, but without ever turning into arrogance or cockiness. So not knowing or expecting anything of Jack Catterall. Mistake number two. And the one I think that's the biggest mistake of the three was to assume that because Jack Catterall hadn't been afforded the opportunity to box at the very top level, because he hadn't been afforded the opportunity to be promoted and pushed into the positions for the biggest fights at the biggest stage, the majority assumed that he wouldn't be able. Let's keep things in the sequence of three, so then we can look at the fight, the result and the background. The fight itself, for the most part, I, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. For a neutral or a casual viewer... I mean, it probably was exciting at times and then it was probably not as skillful as you would have expected from the hype. But there was a lot of stuff going on that you you mightn't have realised or you mightn't have seen with at first hand or, or with, with the naked eye. It was very brutal. Two southpaws are <laughs> to have 99% of the time the potential to just create a big, messy, tangled, dirty fight. Which it was at times. It really was. And it, and it did descend into a bit chaos at times as well. It, add to the bat, add to that pot a referee who didn't seem to know when to get in and when to get out. He, he, he seemed hell-bent on putting his fingerprints all over it. So then you re- wash in on top of that. Uh, raucous, passionate, loud, aggressive Scottish audience welcoming home their world-class superstar being from a small country we know what it's like not to have one or too many of those and they did with style they absolutely set the bar reset the bar on how you create an atmosphere how you create a cauldron and how you welcome both your man and the enemy as they would have been seen on the night into that arena think I want to see Josh Taylor take away his ability to think and attack him the way that he is I think I've watched twice, no, three times. First time I watched it on my phone with earphones because after last week's episode, to be honest with you, I was a little bit drained, I was a little bit tired. Um, just, yeah, I needed to put a bit of distance. So what I did is I watched it on the phone with the earphone in and I could see from the fight the way it was going that it wasn't, it wasn't playing out the way I and many others expected it to go. And you could see, you could see that the fight, if nothing else, without looking too closely, it was close, really, really close. I didn't score it. I didn't even listen closely to the commentary. And as it unfolded, as I said, towards the end, I knew as well with the damaged cards, this this was going to be messy. Taylor was hurt. He was in trouble. He was frustrated. He was angry. None of these things we've associated with Josh Taylor in his, in his just phenomenal rise to the top of the division. And bear in mind, I'm saying this as a Josh Taylor fan. He has fast become one of, if not my favourite fighter since Carl retired. And I just, I like everything about him, including the way he's able to flip the script, kick the chessboard up in the air and and basically turn on that nasty streak that he has. Tactically, tactically, this is where the geek comes out. One of the things I like to look at or listen to as a fight unfolds are the coaches telling their man in that 50 second between rounds what they need to do. Is it calm? Is it organised? Is the boxer listening? And is he implementing then what he's told to ultimately change the the course of the fight? 
we're very quick to ordain somebody who might be new or different or have a little bit of a different style or a little bit of relative success. We're very, very fast to christen them and anoint them as the next coming and as part of this special band of, of, of Hall of Fame legendary coaches, you know. Those Hall of Fame coaches are all very different, but there are a few traits, a few similarities that that link them and always pay huge dividends. And one of those is that they know their man inside out. Inside out. Padjo Highland once told me that his late great dad, Paddy, knew exactly what Padjo was thinking before he could get his arse on the stool at the end of a round. To a word, he knew what he was thinking. One of today's guests, Wayne McCullough, had the same connection with Eddie Futch and later tell Torrance. They knew what was going on. They knew their man. They could read him. They could read the fight and they could read what he was thinking. The upshot being that they knew what to tell him. Their knowledge and experience of the game is at a level that that very few can appreciate. But it's the way they deliver that instruction that really stands them out. It's what makes the difference. It's what stands. It's what allows that fighter to absorb the information and use it. Some coaches, many coaches, when you look at them, they're frantic. They're so busy trying to get the camera, trying to get that 20 seconds for... for, for and, and maybe that's not what they're intending to do, but it's crept in. They overtrain, they overcook, they give these distru- directions that are just so convoluted and so complicated, they're almost... You'd need a code. And the fighter, at times, you can actually see the confused look. Now, I'm not saying that's... I'm not saying that happened. What I'm saying is, the really good coaches are calm, cool, collected. They deliver short, concise instruction in bursts, repeatedly. And what I've seen with Ben Davison, and this is not a, this is not hating, this is just me observing, and I could well be corrected on this and told him wrong, but what I've seen of him in the Tyson Fury and Wilder 1 fight, and on Saturday night in Josh Taylor's corner, it's, it's muddled. So when I see him gesticulating and trying to hype the crowd up, in round eight or whatever it was, when his man has been knocked down heavy, he's discombobulated, he's confused, he's trying to find his way back. Why do you need to gesticulate to a crowd who are raising the roof off the place already? Body Jenner right there. Now he can think. I want to see Josh Taylor take away his ability to think and attack him. When did we see Angela Dundee worry about the crowd? When did we see Eddie Futch or Manny Stewart? The vast majority of the time, those icons, those legendary coaches, are easily spotted as the calmest, coolest and most collected in the eye of the storm. You're on the target with the first and second shots and the third shot will be the big shot, okay? Okay. Right. Don't let him throw too many punches before you count it back. Okay. Okay. You're not throwing enough punches. You're ahead of bing bing and then you go almost about a whole minute before you try again. When you miss a punch and you're pushing, you're not punching enough. You got the punch. You can't win because you won't let the punches go. Let the shots go. You got a big man. This is another Brockham off. It's another problem out there, but you're letting them go because you don't punch. He's going to run to survive. That's why we need it. If you miss a punch, you've got to throw the punches. Your volume of punches is too low. You're not punching. And it's not like you're tired. You just got to let your punches go, Latimer. Just let them go. This round is going to be hard. He's going to run. That's all he's going to do. You, let him, you never let him get to the 12th round. But you got to punch. Okay, well, you got to try. You got to. You do not need to have another bullshit decision. I'm telling you. This isn't me hating on Ben Davison or anybody else. And you'll hear Wayne speak about it in a few moments. 
what what do I expect or what would I want or or hope to see for for Josh Taylor's sake? And I say this again, I have am and have been a huge Josh Taylor fan for some time. Things that I would want Ben to be hearty in short, sharp doses would be Catterall has given him angles that he doesn't want. Everything that Jack Catterall is doing is what Josh Taylor doesn't want or need to be to perform and to get off his best work. He he just simply can't hit him because his shoulder on, his chin is down. And he's tucked in. So those who say the seek and destroy and offensive nature and attitude and approach is what judges look for and what possibly won him the fight are wrong. He couldn't use his backhand. He literally could do nothing with it. So it was ineffective. The Josh who we've all come to know and love and see just sits in the pocket comfortably, lets both hands go with venom and gets out. It wasn't there. What would I want to see or what could he be and said? Again, it's easy for me to sit here and look back and say it. And this is where the experience, the previous experience and all lifetime, a career of working under and around the best, the very best coaches would have stood in 10 years or 12 or 20 years time when he looks back at it, that this will be one of the fights, as with the, the Wilder fight, including the recent Lee McGregor, as with Manny Moore, where he learned a lot. And in Jamie Moore and Nigel and Jack Catterall, perfectly equipped and skillful enough to read his jab, catch it or block it, or even to pivot and spin out. If a fellow like me can see it, sat all the way over here, learning, very much learning, and very much open to be corrected, well, why hasn't a dude who has been all over social media and telling anybody who will listen in the last few weeks and months that he's the best because he works the hardest, well, then why isn't he standing up, screaming if he needs to scream, and gesticulating to Josh to say, use your right hook, get down underneath, get to the ribs, or the upper body, anywhere, just to stop the onslaught. Use your right and use your right hand. The very moment that he imparts that information and insists on Josh implementing it, right in that moment, this whole fight changes. It's that so many people have seen it so many different ways. A part of the pre-fight routine that always intrigued me the most is those moments, those final moments before the fighter gets the knock at the door to make his ring walk. And the man who has been in those, in the very presence of those gladiators, when that call arrives, and prior to and thereafter, is Tommy McCormack. He's the cut man, he's a hand wrap expert. He's been at the biggest shows in, in the world. He's been at the small hall shows and everything in between. He's a great friend of the podcast, and he's been a great friend to me. He always there to return a call or a message when I want to find something out or learn something. If you're going to learn, learn from the best. And Tommy McCormack is the best in the business. Yeah, the last time we were speaking about uh, Life in the Bubble, it's been an interesting journey. My last show was the last one that they were testing for COVID on. So, as of from now, yeah. just went and do the fight at home. I think you're being a bit unfair and disingenuous there, if you don't mind me saying. I think you, you've worked tirelessly to perfect your craft. It, it's at the stage now where, where all these lads are, not only are they happy to work with you, but they're, they're seeking you out. Very lucky, you know. There's a lot of people trying their trade in this game. And you, you, obviously, you need, you, need your, you need your ability, but you need a bit of luck. My goals, whether you're inside the ring or outside the ring, you need a bit of luck to get you to the next step. It's very rare that the, that the real world, the sporting world and the boxing world, it's very rare that they all go in tandem. More often than not, people don't like to acknowledge that boxing even exists. So when it goes from the back pages to the front pages, you generally know there's something going on. You were hands-on, literally, on Saturday week, the big event in, in the Hydro. It's quite busy that night. I had Paddy Donovan on, who I'm very lucky to work with, himself and Andy. I had Nick Campbell, Scottish heavyweight. I also had the pleasure of working with Eric Donovan and Pat Collins. Very morning I arrived over, and there was a, there was a bit of a mix-up with Cutman and that fall between 
main event. Jack Catchell and Josh were going to be using the same guy. Slight mix up, these things happen. So I was asked, would I cover the fight? Was yeah, no problem. So I was going to look after Jack Catchell. Honestly, asked to take part in something like that. Long story short, I had done my fight and I went in to rap Jack Catchell. Kerry was going to do the cuts. I was rapping hands. For me, it was, a, it was a pleasure to be involved at any level with an, an undisputed world championship fight. I think it's the first time ever that a Scottish fighter and an English fighter has fought for the undisputed world title in any division. It's a busy night when you get there initially, and then you're added to the main event as well. For a couple of minutes or however long it takes, you're eye to eye, less than hands width apart as you wrap the, that fighter's hands. You've probably seen it all, have you? So, uh, you, see, uh, you see that glimmer of not fear, but there. You see that at times, uh, and everyone's different. They all, you know, some of them take everything in their stories, some of them are really anxious until they get to the ring, and then they're different. You know, once that bell goes, they're a different animal. Uh, but every one of them, like, I, I, I can't imagine, like, how far, you know, as, a, as an amateur and stuff like that, it, it, like that walk to the ring is quite daunting at times, you know. I can't imagine what it was like to to get ready to go out and test yourself against the best in, in his hometown uh, with a hostile crowd. Now, Jack brought up a big a big crowd with him, but you were in Scotland. It was just, it, the atmosphere was unbelievable. But uh, Jack is one of these, he's, 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 like I said, it was the first time I'd actually spent actually any time with him. I've never seen him before, I've met him before, but never spent any time with him. Uh, and he's such a cool character. You know, he's so laid back. He's, it's like, to me, he just looked like he was a guy that was absolutely in the moment and was completely prepared for what was ahead of him. But you're, you're never sure until you see the perform in the ring. I, I thought the whole week, we watched the press conference, watched the weigh-in. I thought Jack was so cool and so laid back. I, I was almost almost worried that he was kind of too laid back. But no, no, he was, he, was, he was brilliant. I thought he was very good. One of the biggest mistakes people assumed was that Jack couldn't operate at this level because he hadn't been at this level. And I think now we've seen he is very much at home up there, isn't he? The fighters have not been able to play. The fighters play. Sometimes results go against them. Sometimes they go with them. But it's entirely up to Georgia and... You can, say, you can argue, you can say, well, most of the world perceive that Jack won that fight. But there's no pressure on the sitting on that couch at home. I even put myself watching the fight. Right? So there's no pressure on me watching this fight. And I, I, well, my thoughts are, are my thoughts. But nothing hangs on my thoughts. There's no pressure on my thoughts. Where if you're an actual a George, a ref, every decision you make, there's a lot weighing on it. A lot of pressure. So... I don't know. Does it does it change how you how you feel? Does it change how you think? I'm not sure, but definitely haven't seen Jack fight that way. There was times I thought he was a little bit too relaxed. I would have liked to see him just wrap it up a little bit, especially towards the end, just to steal the victory. But Jack is a phenomenal fighter. Will definitely be a world champion. Sad that we didn't get to see another undisputed world champion from this side of the waters. And it would have been now we get Josh Taylor's career. His legacy, yeah, to, to lose it, to lose an undisputed uh, world title for you, you know, uh, against the guy who's been waiting, waiting a long time for his chance, and, uh, you, you know, at world title level, you know, people never a loser, never a loser. The guy's not up there deserve to be there, and, you know, you win or lose, you come again, you know. Uh, a rematch would be great. I don't think you're going to see that because there's too many government bodies involved, uh, and obviously Josh, uh, Josh is going to move up. Uh, 
But I just, I just think it's kind of, it's probably done just for him that good, you know. Um, just legacy wise, you, you've got question hanging over him. Uh, but you know, he goes up to one, one forty-seven, uh, and I've no doubt they'll all want to fight because they'll all fancy themselves after seeing his last performance. Uh, but I just think Josh is just maybe had an off night, maybe slightly overlooked Jack. Yeah, I think I think what I, you make a really good point there as well. Um, when you're talking about scoring the fight, and I said this to Wayne McCullough earlier, I said, well, I watched the first, I watched it the first time, um, and I was watching it. I was only, I was watching it, and I'm, if I'm being brutally honest, I I was aware of how good Jack Catterall is and could be, but I'd be lying, and I think a lot of people would be lying if they said they knew he could do that because he, and that's that's me just being honest. Um, I'm happy to be wrong. I love when a fella comes along like that because he is one of the most likable fellas that you, he just comes across key, as himself, as does Josh. It's what made it. But when I sat down the second time, Tom, to score that fight, you're 100% right. My, everything changed. The whole way you're looking at it changed. I, I didn't listen to anything or look at anybody. I didn't want to know about it. It does change the way you're seeing it. Big time it changes. So yeah. when you've got a crowd around you and you've got everything on the line and you've got everybody's future and everybody's career... You can't but feel that pressure because that's what makes a human, you know. So you're a hundred percent right. Now, the one that I and the other point you made that I was able to tie it into very closely. I wouldn't. There's a lot of words been bandied around and robberies, corruptions, and all that. I think it was a close fight that a lot of people, unless they knew what they were looking for, probably didn't see. And and the one that I put it down closest to was the, the Felix Trinidad and Oscar De La Hoya fight because Oscar was ahead very early in the fight and probably took his foot off the gas a little and and Trinidad being so good then or, or vice versa you know and and then I think Jack I don't say he took his foot off the pedal I just think Josh's world class came to the fore and he knew going down that straight that's where he makes his reputation you know so all those things roll into one as you say when I'm sitting on my ass in the couch or you're in the van or the lads are at home and the beer it's, it's very easy to be critical isn't it? the occasion the fact that you know the fellas that you're working with on that night or the different locker room you're probably going from one to the other your relationship with each of those lads your mood stays the same all the way or are you able to adjust if the lads are in good form they're taking it in their stride like I said some fights you know 
spiders you get on with better than others. Some spiders can, and as well, depending on, on, on where they're at in their own headspace, that affects how, how you and them yeah. get on and the depth of them as well. Like some of them are purely, it's professional, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's like you going in and getting, getting a, a new tyre in your car, you know, you go in and they quite do the job and it's gone, there's no, there's no bond there. Cause I, I think it's kind of maybe a way of relieving tension, you know, just chat, normal stuff. For me, I, I kind of just treat everyone like everyone's going to do a job, and you know? I so I go in, I do my part, and I just yap them. I don't, I never favour any fighter. I, I, the one thing I always want is that they come out and safe. I have wrapped both fighters' hands in fights before, and that's kind of a strange one. All, all you want is that you just both fighters come out safe. Can you tell me, Tom, the difference as the fight gets closer? You go in there at the beginning, I suppose you're there however long before, and, and you do your job. Can can you visibly see a mood shift? Can you see their mood change? Can you feel the atmosphere change as that knock comes on the door? Is it is it a pro, is it always a, a process, or are some of them again? Does it change with every fighter? Yeah, it changes with every fighter. Some are so laid back, and then two minutes to go, and then all of a sudden they're, they're just different animals. Others are very quiet, stay quiet till they get to the fight. Some are quite loud, and I'm never sure whether that's a kind of pushing out this aura of confidence and belief. Very rarely anybody in any in any other job they'll do on a daily basis will have that risk and will have to be acutely accurate for the thirty six or thirty seven minutes that that bout goes on. That every second in that bout could quite literally cost them everything they have. If we compare on Saturday night the dressing the, the locker room before the fight and after it. You don't always have to criticize. Wording is everything. You know, it's everything. Like, I, I try to live by a little rule that I'm not going to say anything that if a fella's sitting beside me in the car, I can't say it to him again. That's the way I try to I'm do it. Speaking about using words, so spoke to Andy Lee, you know, when he uh, got chosen as part of the punditry team with his own. How do you not become a perceived company man? Sometimes the whole fight is happening back. Again, I try not to be too critical, but how do you be truthful? about the home fighter without sounding like they're coming yeah. down. If you're, if you're being negative about a, a disowned fighter, a disowned going to come down hard to you. And Andy was saying, it's, well, it's again, it's the awards. Let's say, for example, we're talking about a fighter who's a fantastic job. It's like, is he all together? To say, well, his job is going to be a key asset and it's, it's not working for him tonight. Like, I, I'm okay with criticism, providing it's not that just negative. But, you know, you can be constructive about it, uh, but still be truthful. You should be able to say stuff that you'll be prepared to say to a fighter's face. And for anybody that may not have seen or heard the footage of Big John Fury accosting Carl Frampton in the studio corridors of wherever BT Studios is situated. Paul's a boxer. Not a the boxer. Why do you think he can beat Tommy then? Answer the question now. Because you disappoint me and I looked up to you and I, 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 I supported you. I'm just trying you. to be honest, John. That's honest? Yeah. 
honest. See, you, you two could beat a fury. I'm, I'm trying to be honest. I'm not pissed. I'm just trying to be honest. I don't want to talk to you. Turn me back on you. Get your facts right. Get off the job. In and around the announcement of Tyson Fury and Dillian White, I'll put the link in the notes below, but the size differential is <laughs> massive, to say the least. John Fury would be six foot four or five. Carl, of course, is about five foot eight or nine. And it's just, it's it sends out the wrong signals for me. And not just as a Frampton fan, but there's a lot of people have said an awful lot about the Furies in recent times. And Carl is, in fact is one of the few who was happy to have Tyson on his undercard at a time when Tyson was untouchable, really. You couldn't really go near him. He was he was damaged goods. And I just I just thought a man who has done it all at the very, very top level of professional boxing, who has the respect of the boxing world, to be treated in such a way doorstepped, and then to hear the laughing hyenas in the background who just haven't got it in them to say, hang on a minute here, John. You're out of order, man. You're wrong. You know, it just it just left a dirty taste. Irish Power, the best Irish energy drink, and as far as I know, the only Irish energy drink on the market. Put a proper pep in your step, whether you use it for pre-training or for Monday mornings or to even mix with a drink or two. Whatever you choose, go for Irish Power. It packs a proper punch. And also, top pro boxing. Irish-owned, Irish-run company, Dublin-based. Mike is the man to go to. If you want wraps, if you want boxing gloves, if you want boots, if you want kit, t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever it is you want, Top Pro Boxing are the ones to go to. Exporting kit to over 80 countries worldwide. Whatever it is you need, Top Pro Boxing have it. And what can I say about Violent Gentlemen? The best boxing specific brand in the business. Boxing inspired with a vintage concept. It's the brand that boxers all over Ireland are now starting to seek out and wear. Whether it's leisure wear, whether it's training wear, Violent Gentleman is based in Belfast, the best boxing city in the world, as everybody knows. And if you don't want to believe me, take a look at their website, www.violentgent20.com. Violent inside the ropes, a gentleman outside them. Behave accordingly. And I'm going to defer to somebody now who has experience of amateur, professional, very top level of world boxing. He's had results go against him. He's had phenomenal wins. And he was on the other end of some very similar decisions as Jack Catterall on Saturday night. And in one of those rare weeks where they, the world media, sporting and otherwise the boxing world and sporting world were all singing together off the one sheet, I caught up with my pal Wayne McCullough. Social media, that's what it is, social media today is making things a lot bigger. I say, say, I get robbed against Zaragoza, I get robbed against Oscar Larius, and they were, they were easy wins for me, and I never got the decision. There was no social media back then for the people to kick up a stink. A lot of people are followers, so they'll they'll say, oh yeah, it's not the right result, or this, is that the other. I think I was texting you, and I sat down on Monday, and I was watching it on the big screen. The whole mood changes when you're looking at a fight to score. This is an area that's, it's it's probably been too great for too long. The one that came into my mind first was Dennis. That broke my heart. The next was Oscar De La Hoya and Felix Trinidad. And I'm sure you can think why I'm saying that. 100%. The last two rounds, you know, um, the English kid, he pulled back in the reins and he had it, he had it wrapped mm. up in partial. And the last two rounds, you know, it's always the old saying, like, you, you have to take it away from the champion. I'm not saying, like, Taylor won. If you're a real judge and anybody won that fight, the truth is, English kid won the fight. It wasn't a massive robbery, 
when you're as you say you're watching you're not really judging you're just sort of looking and putting your score on you couldn't give it to taylor a lot of people are saying it was a, he won by four and five points the way the champion finishes the last two rounds he closes the show and he shouldn't have won in the fight but but i say it's a, this business and nothing's done about it if we had a boxers union we could stand up and say something the night of the fight not not the next day the night of the fight the union could get up and say you need to be accountable for why this was given to this this guy. And then when you hear the Board of Control come out and saying that they'll review it, it's like getting turkeys <laughs> to vote for Christmas. They're going to circle the wagon. What really breaks my heart is to see a fellow like Jack Catterall who stepped aside. He didn't get any money for it. I knew Catterall was good. And this is the thing I wanted to talk to you because you, you've seen the intricacies and you see it with a different eye to what yeah. we would. It's an alarming slide from Josh Taylor from, from the Progre fight to what we saw the other night. Is that just his time now or do you think it's it's what a lot of people are saying? It's, it's down to what he's been taught. Everything he learned went out the window. You know, both guys southpaw. In the first couple of rounds, he wasn't doing it. But then he started to bring his, his left hand over his chin to catch anything coming back. Josh Taylor doesn't know how to, how to catch a jab coming back. The old cross guard. I mean, your jabbing hand's low, but your your left hand, because they're southpaws, is over your chin. If you're an orthodox, your left hand's low, but your right hand's ready to catch anything coming over the top, like a straight jab, a right hand, uppercut, a left hook. Catterall started doing that. And he started peppering Taylor with a double jab, a basic double jab, mm-hmm. was going bang bang, Straight knocking lines. his head back every time. Double jab, double jab. I'm not going to criticize. I know Ben Davis, but in the corner they won't say to him, "Catch a jab." Do you know why? They don't know how to do it. Catterall, he just started to look like a pro. He looked like he looked mm-hmm. like the seasoned pro against the guy who was got all all the, all the belts, and it, it made him look ordinary in the first like six or seven rounds. Josh Taylor. For me, he's got he's went backwards. He got worse. It was a great performance by both guys, and but Taylor, he needs to learn defense. Yeah. You know, he needs to learn defense at that level. If he moves up to the the welterweight division, look at the sharks up there. Under Shane McGuigan, he was he was getting better and better. He was definitely better with Shane. There's no question about it. Mm. It's still the defense is a major thing. You can get make a guy better. Shane made him a little bit better. He did definitely, but he didn't teach defense. Mm. Eddie taught offense. And defense, and nobody teaches defense. They all teach you can go march forward and do this, do that. But what happens is they begin to deep water. They're talking about him going to one four seven. To me, he loses all his attributes if when he goes to one four seven. Yeah, he doesn't need to go up there. It's like he's big, but he's not that big. Crawford's big, you know. Even Sean Sean Porter, who, who's retired there, Sean Porter, my size, but he's like a little bull. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Strong. He's, he's stocky and. Lopez is small. He's, he's, and, um, there's all Errol Spence. There's all the all the Earl PBC Spence. lads are, are there. That's but Errol Spence, you know, he's massive. I stupid. I I met him a couple of years ago. In between fights, he's first of all he's tall. I looked at him and thought, oh, he looks like a linebacker from a NFL. <laughs> he looked about 180 pounds, but he was carrying it. It wasn't like he was fat. It was he was carrying it yeah. everywhere. For him to drop down to 47, he's big. Yeah. No. and that's and, what um, I'm saying he's, he's wedged in at 140 and he has that huge size advantage and the whole narrative up to the fight was he could stay there for the rest of his career he makes it so easy and then as soon as there's a spot of butter for me and I'll ask you as a, as a pro who's been at the very top as I've seen over the years there's lots of speculation about how it happened why it happened is it is it just inadequate is it just inept judging is it corruption that argument will rumble on forever in a day for me, when the real pros had a question mark hanging over their head, there was only one thing they ever did. And that was, of course, to get the rematch and to put the record right as they see it. Do you think that's going to happen? No. It's not going to happen. 
same, the same, like, and that tournament of sadness come back to the Zara Ruta fight. We, um, we get fight of the year. You get fight of the year. You've got a trilogy going. Mm. I never got a rematch. In you. I never got a rematch. And as I say, Sarah goes if me as a biggest payday against me. It couldn't be a Mormon in the next time. But if you get fight of the year, it's an automatic trilogy. But like, at least Oscar Laris people give me the rematch. You know I mean? But Taylor's going to move up. Catterall's probably going to stay there. You know, if he did decide to move up as well, okay, first fight, rematch. You know what I mean? So it's possible, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I think it's because the, I don't feel Taylor can't beat him unless he, he, he learns defense. That's all to me. That's what the fight was won on defense. He getting, he was getting hit less. He was hitting, hitting Taylor more. And, um, apart from that, if he, Taylor's got the engine, he's got everything else. But Catterall stayed with him the whole time. I say the last couple of rounds, he just pulled off the gas and, um, Taylor just took over and, and won, won the championship rounds. The championship rounds still didn't win the, the fight. When we talk about the officiating, can't help referring to Dana White. Do not leave it in the hands of the judges. The referee, my God. I mean, you've been in with the best. You've had the best. You've probably had the worst. How bad was it? The referee was terrible. A good referee, you don't see him. Joe Cortez, I'm not going to run him down, but he did my championship fight in Japan. He was a great referee. That fight, uh, Whiplash, I may put me down the second round, hit on the ground and whack me. Not one point deduction, nothing. Every time I get close to Hamed, which is my game plan, they broke me. I think in the ninth round you see him and dress it up a way like he's took the head in Jack Hatterall and it was as clear as the as the nose on his face. You know, he was frustrated, he was angry. Every time he got in close, Catterall wrapped him up and turned him around and you could see him at one point, yeah. he grimaced and he just, as if to say, fuck, you could see the frustration. You know, he was just completely out of sync. No, the referee, way too involved. That's what I think Timothy Bradley was saying that we're here. The last thing on the Catterall, Taylor, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to call it a spade a spade as well. I was disgusted with the treatment Carl got last night. He's paid to give his opinion, as is Big John Fury. Are we going down that road now where people aren't allowed to give their opinion? The truth is, if I don't know you personally, the way we know each other. If you're just like, I'm just going to your podcast, I don't know who you are, right? I can give my opinion, I believe. If you ask me about you against somebody without, I can give my opinion. Yeah. If you're my friend, if Al's my friend, if somebody says something about Al, I'm going to say, no, I'm, a win's a win's a win. I would say a win. He, he won the fight. He did this. You get to win. Or, oh, you, he, is he going to beat this guy? going to beat that guy? You can give your opinion. But if you're somebody's friend, you know, I think you should back him up, man, of course. And I don't know if, I, if Carl is, is friends with the Fury people. I think he is. I think he's really friendly with both. Like, the same with, the same with Josh Taylor. He's, he's going to his wedding, he says. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a tough one because, you know, if I'm somebody's friend, I'll back you up. The last <laughs> thing, you're a busy man, or I don't know what I'm allowed to say or what I'm not allowed to say, but... Well, yeah, I've got with Scott Alexander. He's put the fight, Nathan Gorman, April 2nd in England. It's a fight that I've been training Scott since last year. He's 16 and 4. He's a pro too. Like, he weighs about 17 and a half stone, about 240 pounds. I started training him and then... He had a couple of fights scheduled, and then he got injured, and Dan came up. Now he's got this fight, and was put back a few weeks. But if my guy goes over and gets a win in front of the, the British fans, you know, it'll be a good scalp for him, and actually put him in the picture in the world. And I say I've got the young a young kid called Contavious Slay, nicknamed Tay. 
he won the nationals two years ago here in America. He was ready to go to the Olympics and they cut out his weight class. <laughs> he's five foot six and he fights at seven and a half stone. And he can make the weight class below that, 105 pounds, which is like seven stone seven. But he can go as high as like, I'd say 122 because of his height and because of the way he can crack too. And then, of course, Ryan Keane, the, the Australian Irish kid who's six foot five, you know, about 250 pounds, about 18 stone. I just turned 20 years old, and Tay just turned 20 years old as well. It's great to have him from the beginning because then you can always say you, you get guys from the, mm-hmm. the start of the careers. Can yeah. you relate now to, in many ways, to how Eddie did it, and is it bringing you back to those days? Yeah, because I say when I came here, Riddick Bowe was a heavyweight champion. Eddie had him. And Mike McCallum, he's, he was a, at that point, he was a late heavyweight, um, former three-time champion. But, you know, I had, had big guys, Montel Griffin, you know, Thiel was more like the coach, and he was he's a late heavyweight as well. So Eddie didn't really have small guys at all, you know. So for me to be there and for Eddie to take me on at that point was just fantastic because I knew he was always, always he was always the guy who was with heavyweights, Ken Norton and stuff like that, and Spinks, you know, and Fraser and stuff. So it's, that's all the guys he was with. But as I say, he was a small guy. He was actually a little bit smaller than me, believe it or not. But. But to say that connection we had from him again was fantastic and, and for him to take me on was sensational. I can't tell you or anybody else how appreciative I am and how much, how valuable it is to speak to and learn from somebody the likes of Wayne McCullough. And just before I wrap this episode up, it's very obvious, it's been very noticeable. There's been a lot of furore, a lot of hype and media attention around this fight. Probably rightly so. Many media outlets and indeed podcast platforms have have reacted, or at least been seen to react in a way that they have been very prominent and very loud. Some some of it's been talking, if I'm being honest. Others are kind of thinking and acting as if they're more than they are, which is, let's face it, I've got no delusions of grandeur here. It's a podcast. People, I'm lucky enough to have people listen and comment and agree or disagree. But others have been almost waiting on a stage, almost waiting on a cause or, or a campaign to jump in and display their, um, what we call them, new connections, which they've done with. And then to see a Speaker of the House jump in and feel entitled and relevant enough to file some sort of complaint, as if he cares. It's, it's all just getting a little bit too much now. It's just getting a little bit too much self-serving. A very similar to John McCain inserting himself into a boxing argument in the in the in the U.S. many years ago. It's self-serving, at best. The only thing I'm going to say on it is why, why now? But when you take all that bluster aside, and you look into what is actually coming of it now, for the very first time, the BBBOC and Robert Smith have actually issued a statement. They've held their investigation and the the statement was released today read as follows. Following an internal review of the scoring following an internal review of the scoring of Josh Taylor versus Jack Catterall contest by all three appointed judges, the stewards of the board decided to call Mr Ian John Lewis to appear before them to explain his returned card. Having considered Mr Ian John Lewis' explanation, the stewards of the board decided to downgrade Mr John Lewis from an A-star class to an A-class official. Whilst the board were satisfied that Mr John Lewis' scorecard did not affect the overall score of the contest, the stewards of the board did have an issue with the margin. As the regulatory body for the sport in Great Britain, 
The British Boxing Board of Control continue to improve their and maintain the high quality and consistency in scoring by our licensed officials. As such, the stewards of the board have further decided, in addition to each A-star class official being evaluated after each bout, as per current procedure, they will now also be subject to a separate individual annual review. Finally, the British Boxing Board of Control have contacted the WBO, WBC, the IBF and the WBA, supporting Jack Catterall to be made mandatory challenger for each or all championship sanctioning bodies. Signed, Robert W. Smith, General Secretary. So, Ian John Lewis is to take the fall while the status quo remains the same. Very interesting. Lots to unpack there, which we'll do so in the coming days and weeks. Thanks a million to Wayne for his time. Thanks a million to Tommy for his time. I'm off now to put the finishing touches to another episode that'll probably be out on Friday morning, just ahead of Michael Conlon's world title showdown with Lee Wood. That's about it from me and them until then. Thank you for taking time to listen to this episode. If I can ask, as always, please take a couple of seconds to share the word, spread it about the place, help us get it out there. We're on the ACAST network now. It's going farther, it's going wider, and it's going higher up. And if spring had sprung when I started recording this episode, it most definitely had gone back into its shell by the end. Whatever else is going on, don't forget, all's well that ends well. <laughs>